Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. Oh yes, hello my friends and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris, his name Hayden Winks. Hayden, buddy, we had Ryan Hodge do a live draft with us yesterday. Absolutely incredible stuff. I feel like all summer long, you and I like to not recycle narratives, talk through narratives, but also try to bust the bubble that we live in. I thought Ryan did an incredible job of that, of thinking of different strategies and talking about those three mans on Underdog. Uh, If you ever just have like 15 minutes to spare, the three mans are how you need to spend them. Absolutely. Three mans and rookies and sophomores. The tournament is almost filled, but do not forget about that one. It's four-person drafts. It's only the rookies. It's only the sophomores. And speaking of the sophomores, that brings us to today's show. So after today's show, you're going to go straight to the lobby. Go do that stuff. Nobody's making content for the rookies and sophomores. So you could have an edge if you go listen to some things. Create your own rankings. All the stuff in the, like the three-man and the rookie and sophomore, it's like the ADPs just don't align as yep. much as they do as the – classic 12 teamers so you can take advantage of some of these things on there super excited for today's show so much of the conversation over the last few months is put into the efforts or breaking down rookies trying to predict who's going to break out who's in a great situation who's overdrafted who's undervalued we kind of forget about these second year players ones that can you know especially last year struggle to adapt to the NFL, but have monster second seasons with new coaches, with new quarterbacks, with new systems, so on and so forth. So in order to start this conversation, Hayden, I, I feel like we need to we need to set the line of who's already arrived, who's already made it among these second-year players. So why, why don't we try to do that as a, as a little quick exercise? I mean, obviously at the top of drafts right now, around an ADP of eight overall, it's like Jonathan Taylor. Then after that, it's it's Cam Akers. You have that glut of running backs of the second years and Antonio Gibson, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. We can officially say that they have made it. We know what type of players those guys are at this moment. Yeah, like maybe Clyde Edwards-Hilaire shows a little something else, Antonio Gibson, but like we are already drafting them really early, so we don't need to talk about them here. Justin Jefferson, we know he broke rookie records last season. CeeDee Lamb, we know he's in an incredible Offense, I'm just trying to jump down further and further. J.K. Dobbins is there as well. DeAndre Swift, even though the situation is a bit in flux based on his ADP of 30 overall, I think people understand what type of player he is, their strengths and their weaknesses. So I'm not sure if any of those need to be included in this conversation as well. They've all graduated from sleepers. Okay, let's keep it moving. Bren Nayuk, all we need is opportunity there. 
Hayden Winks, and we have made it with Brian Ayuk. And now I think we might start having a little bit of conversation here because Chase Claypool is going around 65 overall as a second-year player. Do we know the talent that Chase Claypool is at this moment? Chase Claypool is an absolute beast. I, I think he's the best Steelers. <laughs> I think he's the best Steelers wide receiver, and I think that this year he'll show that. I, I don't think that he's a sleeper yet either. Okay. Now, maybe Chase Claypool is our line. Like, does does the conversation here of someone who isn't in the top of mind for football collective as we know the defined talent that they are, does that start with Jerry Judy at 74, 75 overall going on underdog? I think we need to talk about him just because his, his season last year was so hit and miss. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that this is where we like, he's not really a sleeper, but I think we should talk about him here. Okay. Let, let's, let's start this conversation of potential second year breakouts and it might be headlined for better or for worse with, with Jerry Judy. And what I think of Jerry Judy and really this Broncos offense from last season, Hayden, it was entirely inefficient and, the poster boy of that inefficiency. One is Drew Locke, obviously at the quarterback position because he's so high variance and you don't know what you're getting from him, but also Jerry Judy, a 46% catch rate last season. We care about opportunity always, right? Because that's what we can predict on a weekly basis. Can you really predict someone though, that had 113 targets? Wonderful. Great. We care about that. Then you get to 52 receptions and you only turn those 113 targets into 856 yards and three touchdowns. And really, for the type of style, if you like wrote it out in a piece of paper, it doesn't fit in efficiency, right, Hayden? Like it's it's a separator who wins on slants from the outside or the inside. He spent about 33% of the snaps in the slot last year. On paper, that's like your consistent player. But again, with the Broncos last season during his rookie year, Jerry Judah was anything but consistent. Well, he was learning basically two spots because he was playing in, inside and outside. And his usage kind of changed depending on where he lined up. When he was on the outside, his ADOT was all the way up to 16 yards downfield, which is that's like a that's like your Marquez Valdez Scantling range. And then from the slot, it dropped down all the way to 12. So I think the Jerry Judy conversation needs to start with where he's going to be lining up this year. And I think the big debate is is KJ Hamler going to start or is it going to be Tim Patrick? Because Tim Patrick's an outside receiver, Hamler is on the inside. So who, whoever wins that number three job this this uh, in uh, in the training camp, that's going to determine where Jerry Judy is going to be lining up. So I think that's the first part is like how how is he going to be used in his second year? I think he can do either because he's such a good separator, but I haven't watched him as in depth as you have. The KJ Hamler conversation because he's a role player in the NFL, a good one. But someone who wins downfield, I mean, he won their game against the Panthers last season because he just burned their corner who's, you know, felt like he ran a, a half second slower in his 40 down the field. And, and that was it. He couldn't keep up. But KJ Hamler also, you know, played 66% of his snaps in the slot. I also think that like the football collective NFL coaches, who am I to say what they should do, but they need to run more slot fades, you know, like create that speed in the middle of the field and then open things up from the outside. I, I do think as the season went along, Jerry Judy played more on the outside and like, I think a major part of this conversation is going to be like, try to figure out what they want to do on offense. Like what does Pat Shermer want to be this year? And it can go two separate ways. It's the Teddy Bridgewater conversation and it's the Drew Locke conversation. Let's have the Teddy Bridgewater one right now. And if there's like a, a player that meshes well with Teddy in terms of creating separation 
and sustaining it in the short to intermediate area. And I'm not saying Jerry Judy can't win downfield. He absolutely can. I think Jerry Judy and, and Teddy Bridgewater really align in their quote unquote strengths on an NFL field. Yep. And we just saw Robbie Anderson, who's like somewhat similar yes. to Jerry Judy, very slender build, can win downfield, can I mean, Robbie Anderson was super good within 10 yards of line of scrimmage last year, too. So um, I can see that meshing well. I, I think that if you're drafting Broncos, like there's the upside case of maybe Drew Locke figures it out. But I think like the realistic thing is you want Teddy Bridgewater uh, in there to be um, to, to help facilitate your, your Broncos players. Just because I mean, last year there was 115 qualifiers in this metric I call uh, fantasy points over expected. And that just basically you were targeted this many times. That typically means you average this amount of fantasy points versus how many fantasy points you actually scored. Jerry Judy was 114th out of 115 wide receivers. The only wide receiver who was less efficient on a per target basis was AJ Green, who we've been mocking for the entire calendar year. Yeah. So that's the type of stuff that Drew Locke was giving to Jerry Judy. So I think that if you're drafting Jerry Judy, you want Teddy Bridgewater as your quarterback. Now, the, the basis of this conversation is breakout. Do we think Jerry Judy can really eclipse his 113 targets last season when Colton Sutton played half a game, got six targets, and that's it? Because I actually, for this research, in order to talk about Jerry Judy, I went back and watched Cortland Sutton too, and they're very different. Cortland Sutton oh, yeah. profiles as like an alpha you know, I'm not saying because especially in the NFL nowadays, you can have these separators who like have pogo sticks for legs and, you know, give you the dead leg and create separation. I mean, we know everything that Jerry Judy does in terms of creating separation. But if you want someone to line up one on one on the outside, isolated and separate, win downfield, go up and get it contested and just be more athletic than his opposition, that is Cortland Sutton. And so I'm not sure if Judy is going to get more opportunity this year. I think most important, we have to wonder if it's just in his DNA to be inefficient or if it was the combination of rookie year struggles and having Drew Locke as your quarterback led to that inefficiency last year. And I, I, I kind of believe that's a unanswerable question. And so that makes me a little bit concerned if we can work this back into fantasy that Jerry Judy is going as like the 75th overall player just about seven spots later than where Cortland Sutton is going right now. So I think if you're looking at like a median projection, I think Jerry Judy going might be going a little too high for me just based off of median projections. But Jerry Judy has his like untapped potential, like super, super high ceiling just because of how good he was at Alabama. And I think that last year there was a couple plays where he, he just dropped the ball like way yeah. downfield, like 50 that yards. That Chargers game was absolutely off. Yes. And if he converts a couple of those, then we're not talking about him in such a poor efficiency manner. And th those seemed pretty fluky to me. Jerry Judy is way better than he played last year. I think he's going to break out like on film and like for the Broncos as a, as a team and being a, a high quality receiver, how much that actually translates to fantasy is going to be a little difficult. Cortland Sutton, KJ Hamler, Noah Fant, they drafted a, a bulldozing running back. And then the other big thing is the Broncos defense can be top five defense this year. And I think that the, the blueprint, I can easily see the blueprint be we start Teddy. We have a great defense. We'll run the ball. We'll throw some uh, jump balls to Cortland Sutton. Jerry Judy can separate, and that's our entire offense. Um, that wouldn't be that great for fantasy purposes. Yeah, like Teddy isn't, I don't know, Kirk Cousins as a quarterback. That can support, you know, two great receivers to be like top 20 scores necessarily, even though obviously DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson were great. I think a major part of that last season was Joe Brady. I'm not saying Pat Shermer's a bad play caller, but there's this – 
I think there's this perception and it's a fallacy even that Teddy is, Oh, if a player's open, he's going to get him the football. And that's not the case. He's not aggressive. And he also makes mistakes. And it's, it's concerning at this point when you have so many great weapons around them that I don't know if Jerry Judy from like a statistical standpoint, again, this conversation that we're having is, is going to take a, a leap forward. It, it might be in like the, the hidden in the invisible areas where he takes a leap forward just with his efficiency. All right. That is our line. Jerry Judy is at the top of our to make the leap from second year players. Who else do you want to talk about as a potential second year breakout player? Michael Pittman. And I watched this film last night and I thought that he kind of has it. Like there's, there's some players when you watch them and when they're that big and they're that athletic, you can just see how things really begin to elevate. And I think that Michael Pittman certainly qualifies. If you listen to Chris Ballard, he's done a couple podcasts this off season. He's mentioned a, the wide receiver core internally. They think the wide receiver group is good and the rest of the league and I think a lot of the media think that the Colts should have been adding a Julio Jones. He was always rumored to go to the Colts. They're very high on Michael Pittman. Uh, I think that he's one of the better promising run after catch guys. And that's pretty crazy because he's so big. But that's what he was doing best last year. It was yards after the catch. And it was a, a couple of vertical shots, deep crossing routes. And I think that's the part of the game that Carson Wentz, if there is a part of the field that Carson Wentz is good at, is he likes to be aggressive downfield. I think that Michael Pittman is going to be an awesome fit for Carson Wentz. I would be more concerned about a Paris Campbell on the shallow crossing routes. That's not a Carson Wentz forte. I think that Michael Pittman has got the juice. He's got the juice and he's got the size. He has the alpha profile and he went to USC. How could you not like that? (laughs) Remember when Benjamin Solak, right after the Colts traded for for Carson Wentz, said that like the area of the field that – Paris Campbell exists in like Carson has just be, been blind to that over like the last year or two. And I'm still waiting. And I'm, I'm kind of nervous that like, as we go on, Paris Campbell is going to just be like, what if those, what if guys who it just doesn't click for, I, I think it's absolutely in the realm of possibility that Michael Pittman as the train, we get the train bump here from Michael Pittman just emerges as, as their most consistent, their best wide receiver this year, because while T.Y. Hilton had those seasons or games towards the end of, of last season, he is absolutely on the downside of his career. No doubt about it. Michael Pittman could absolutely be one of these players who breaks out during his during his second season. And he didn't have a single game last year, Hayden, of over nine targets. Just had one game of eight, one game of nine, 61 targets overall from Michael Pittman. If that jumps all the way up to... Jerry Judy levels, 110, 100. We could have a real player in our hands here. Yeah, I think Paris Campbell is at best a role player, and he could not even be that just because of the injuries. I think that T.Y. Hilton is certainly now a role player, downfield only. Um, And I think that Michael Pittman has like these alpha traits that could really see this big second-year breakout happen for him. And he was 36 um, in yards per route run versus man coverage. That's pretty good for rookies. You see a lot of these players that we're going to talk about today – where they were in like the bottom 15, bottom 20. That was not the case for Michael Pittman. There was nothing about his route running that made me scared. You see some of these big guys, like Denzel Mims, for example, they cannot get out of the break. When they stop and they try to go outside, that takes way too long, and they, they can't hit any of these out routes. That was not the case with Michael Pittman. Deep crossing routes, yards after the catch. I think he has potential to like be a wide receiver three, maybe a wide receiver two this year. He's one of the 
only guys I watched from this list, after I watched him, I immediately moved him up my rankings. I moved him up like 10 spots. Now I'm ahead of ADP. I was at ADP, but I think that he's uh, emerging, um, an emerging good player. Yeah, and Lundar in the chat has a great point. He's playing Tennessee, Houston, and Jacksonville six times this season. None of those defenses scare us. Absolutely none of them, especially uh, the secondaries. He's going in an interesting area on underdog right now, Hayden. I mean, it's after some players like Brandon Cooks, who might be the number one wide receiver on their team, but the offense might be absolutely abysmal. You also have Jarvis Landry on a team that's hopefully not going to see a bunch of volume because we want to see Odell Beckham obviously play an entire season. Then you have rookies like like Jalen Waddle or a post-hype breakout and Mike Williams and Marquise Brown. So like he's in this interesting area, again, that um, you can easily get plenty of investment if if you want in him. I also am a little nervous that just Carson Wentz stinks. I, I, I mean, that, is that not priced in though? It like, is. It absolutely. Is. I think I think it's priced in, and there's a chance that Carson Wentz reunited with with Frank Reich has a little bit of a bounce back season. If you look at last year's Eagles, I mean, we're going to talk about one of those players in a second. That was the worst wide receiver group last year. Yep. None of those guys can separate their yards per route run versus man coverage was abysmal. So I think that Carson Wentz is in a much better spot, obviously. So I think we're going to see. A, uh, a more improved Carson Wentz, Not, nothing about these MVP years, but a more improved Carson Wentz. I think that he can get the ball to Michael Pittman. Because even if he stinks, he's not going to be as bad as he was last year. Oh, yeah. Because you, you mentioned wide receivers. I would also point to the offensive line. I mean, the offensive line just compounded all the problems because he thought in his head he had to play hero ball. And we know his feet get stuck in, in cement in the pocket. And in that case, you know, it leads to fumbles, it leads to sacks, it leads to forced throws against pressure. We know the Colts... Hopefully they figured out their left tackle spot, but we know at least four of those blockers are starting quality, if not great starters in the NFL. So uh, again, Michael Pittman at that price where you're getting him at 60 targets last season with the potential, I think to get to hundred targets this year, uh, that absolutely makes a ton of sense. He's going one spot ahead at wide receiver. The next thing I want to talk about in Darnell Mooney, because Darnell Mooney is a player we, we led with Jerry Judy, they went in very similar ways, Hayden. And I would say like Darnell is kind of Jerry Judy after taxes in some ways. And maybe you think this theory is ridiculous. Okay. I understand that the, the bears have tried to upgrade at quarterback for years, going with Mitch, then trying to find one in Nick Foles. And a lot of that conversation has been around one wins the other. Let's get Allen Robinson, a quarterback. I also think part of it is they saw how good Darnell Mooney was last year and said, he's open, our quarterback cannot get it to him. What if we potentially have another 800, 850-yard wide receiver next to him? Because there were so many plays. I tweeted some out yesterday, Hayden, where, I mean, he faced off against, you know, the the, the Bucks secondary, the, the Rams secondary, and matched up against Jalen Ramsey, matched up against Troy Hill, matched up against, you know, the Bucks corners as well, and he was winning. He was separating, and – Four or five yards downfield of separation, Nick Foles would throw it out of bounds. I mean, it was – he had zero help last year. And so I'm not so sure how much of a leap he can make necessarily if, if Andy Dalton starts a number into double digits of games. But if Justin Fields comes in, is the talent we expect him to be, hope that he is, and also just, you know, is, is a good young quarterback – then I think that there's enough out there for Allen Robinson and most importantly, Darnell Mooney at 107 overall to, to make the leap here among second year wide receivers. 
Darnell Mooney is going to play every single down, especially if they go to two two tight end sets this year, which is certainly possible because the Bears number three receiver. I'm not even sure if it's going to be Anthony Miller. It might be like Demir Bird or something, somebody like that. Um, so I think that Darnell Mooney is fine where he's going. I don't want to get over like I don't want to say like Darnell Mooney is like really good because I I don't think he's I don't think he's that good. He's certainly athletic enough, and his yards after the catch potential was really good. And I thought that, like you said, there was some plays where he was really separating down the field, and that's intriguing. But I think that he seems like a player that could be like overhyped all of a sudden, and okay. that would be my biggest concern. Um, some of the data, obviously, this like it does not account for quarterback play, but he was 92nd out of 97 wide receivers in yards per route run versus man coverage. Uh, Allen Robinson with can that be a quarterback play. stat? I mean, the only point I was going to make was Allen Robinson was 15th. So, like, obviously, Darnell Mooney is not Allen Robinson. No one's even trying to play that 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 narrative. But uh, I do worry that I think there was a lot of things on tape where Darnell Mooney was uh, creating he's mistimed weak. throws and a little too weak yeah. to kind of overcompensate. So I think that he's going to end up being a role player. I think that bunch formations, screens, kind of like a lot of the design stuff that Nagy's going to be doing is going to be for Darnell Mooney. And I think yes. that he's plenty good enough in that role. I'm not convinced that he's like all of a sudden like some like stud number two receiver. I think he's gonna be more of a role player, a fine role player. And I think that where he's being drafted at, that's totally fine. Yeah, I think giving that perspective in this conversation is important. Like he does have that dead like move. He has that wiggle in his routes to turn on a dime. He does not have that strength that you talked about. He does have that body control. So like he can contort his body down yes. the field to adjust to off target passes. But like if he has to match strength with a defensive back or multiple of them and catch passes in traffic, which we know Allen Robinson can do, Darnell Mooney's not gonna do that. And he's not really an after catch threat because he he doesn't have that that on contact power like some other players do. But like you mentioned, he is one that is going to be moved across the formation. He he did see like a good number of those schemed manufactured touches. In, in the short areas of the field. And if he's the one that's going to be in motion. Uh, yes. I, I think that's great. Now, to your point, I think he's going in a good area right now. I mentioned he's one spot after Michael Pittman and like Jalen Waddle and a few others are going ahead of that. He's also going just above Devontae Parker and Michael Hardman at wide receiver. Most importantly, though, I, I mean, I would take him about 10 spots earlier than where he's going because at running back, that's like the Ronald Jones, James Conner, Zach Moss, Leonard Fournette territory. And I want to take Darnell Mooney over all those running back names each and every time. That's fair. Yeah, I, I think I was okay with his ADP. I watched yeah. him and I was like, oh, this is like a decent role player. I wasn't like super impressed by anything. Like I think like Michael Pittman and Darnell Mooney are going kind of similar screens. I think Michael Pittman's like a much better bet. Like I think that Michael Pittman's a way better player than Darnell, Darnell Mooney. I will say um, one of my like worst takes, I think, is that I think that Jim – or. Uh, Nagy's actually a good play caller, and he used Darnell Mooney perfectly he did. last year. Got him off the line of scrimmage, bunch formations where he was hiding him from press coverage because I think that is where Darnell Mooney is going to have the most struggles in the NFL just because of his size. And I think that Nagy was actually helping out Darnell Mooney a ton. So if you get Justin Fields to have some of these Ohio State games where he's launching the ball 70 yards downfield, I think that Darnell Mooney is going to have a much better season than he did last year, uh, at least statistically. And and your point that he's going to be in the field for every single snap, almost certainly it's it's going to be close to that because he and Allen Robinson are clearly the, the the top two wide receivers. Anthony Miller might be on his way out, you know, and Cole, Cole Komet is someone who who can hopefully emerge at, at, at the tight end spot. You, you mentioned a, a potential take you're going out and alleged on. If you said that Mitch Trubisky and, and Nick Foles are trash, that would be an absolutely fair take because they tanked his season last year i mean they tanked yeah. everyone's season it is so crazy 
that an organization can look at that quarterback spot last year and just be like, yeah, we we'll roll with these guys. Well, this is an upgrade with Nick Foles. Nick Foles is so bad. The Nick Foles trade so was, was the worst of it. They gave up like way too much. Um, yeah, that was the worst of it. All right. So that is three names so far. Who's our fourth? I'll go Adam Troutman. Um, PFF's number one run blocking tight end. I have some concerns. I watched him. There was a couple plays. There was a whip route. There's like a little stick nod action, and he's kind of fluid in his hips a little bit. The big problem that I have with Adam Troutman that I'm a little nervous about when we're talking about breakout tight ends um, is he's an inline tight end. And if you look at the stats, the slot tight ends, that's where a lot of the predict predictive power of finding breakout tight ends is if you're playing in the slot, Adam Troutman is too good of a blocker. And if you watch a lot of those snaps and or all of his targets last year, 12 of his 16 targets came in line, one from the backfield, only three from the slot or on the outside. Basically, all of his production was on screens or on chips where he would block for a second and then run to the flats and then get a little check down. Very little of his production was down the field. It was not the Jared Cook role. Jared Cook was... Yeah. Top five in slot snaps, always out in that route. Adam Troutman was the inline guy. So maybe with Jared Cook leaving, they'll put Troutman in that role. I'm a little concerned that he's their inline guy. And if you look back at the, the draft press conferences, that's how they kept saying it was he is the inline guy. And that's a little concerning for me that he might not have this huge, huge ceiling. Um, I did kind of like him, but I'm a little concerned about his actual usage on film. An important exercise of this, again, is trying to figure out how coaches we trust want to utilize players. And Sean Payton, a coach we trust, traded up for Adam Troutman, but it might not be in that same role that's been productive in the past, right? Now, I'm also looking at their tight end depth chart right now. Did you have a chance to look at this, Hayden? Can you it's name like Nick, one? Nick, Nick Vanette? Yeah, Nick Vanette, Garrett Griffin, Ethan Wolf, and some undrafted free agent out of college named Dylan Schoner is on here. Um, look, I understand the, the, the saints can always finagle if that's the right use of that word, uh, the cap situation, move it around, exchange some pieces, but they clearly did not want to invest anything more in the tight end spot because they believe in, in a name. Now, every year we think like we can predict late round tight ends that hit. Uh, we spent entire shows on it last off season. Um, I think we are more aware of that deficiency in our ability at this moment, but Hayden, it's, it's getting to a point where like Adam Troutman is kind of on the border of even being a late round tight end anymore. Cause right now he's going as tight end 15. I have him ranked ahead of that. You have him right at ADP fair for someone that we know very little about in just his second year that it's, it's kind of like a, a, a blind leap of faith here in some ways. Troutman, Traquan Smith or Marquez Callaway is going to smash. ADP. One is. Yes. I don't know which one of those three uh, Troutman. There was a couple guys where I moved immediately up my rankings or down my rankings after watching him. Troutman, I kept right at the same spot. I didn't, I wasn't like super impressed. There was not like some major red, flag, uh, red flags with them either. So I think he's fair. I just like, I think there's some of these guys like Michael Pittman to me was like a way more obvious, like breakout type of player. Troutman could be, there wasn't anything based off of last year's tape where I was like, okay, this is like an absolute smash play though. His usage in preseason will be important. 
Yes. Is, like if he plays 100% of the snaps with the starters and in practice reports, like if we see Nick Underhill uh, say that or in, in, in those series and preseason work and he comes out as soon as the starters come out, we will know exactly what but I, I will say I, I'm ex- I'm fully expecting that to happen. I don't think that his ADP should change. I think that everyone's okay. assuming that's the case. I want to see him detached from the offensive line and him running routes on all the dropbacks. That is what the Jared Cook role was last year. Jared Cook was rarely blocking. If Troutman is if they're running and it, it, Troutman's staying in the block, that's like where my red flag is going to be. Let's talk about let's talk about Gabriel Davis. Gabriel Davis is going as the 58th wide receiver right now. Um, we know that John Brown exited last offseason, or this offseason, I should say. And John Brown was a revelation for the Bills as one of those post-hype, post-hype breakout players and finally hit his stride in Buffalo. Um, Gabriel Davis, it's kind of like a tale of, of two seasons for him. And before I go any further, I want to say that from here on out, I will never be drafting Gabriel Davis ahead of Emmanuel Sanders anymore. That that's the headline from watching Gabriel Davis and from digging into this with Gabriel Davis, despite him going and I'm looking for it right now. He's going nine spots ahead of Emmanuel Sanders and just wide receiver rankings at this moment. It is very clear by their actions that the bills do not trust this second year player in Gabriel Davis. And here's why through 12 games, Last season, the first 12, Gabe Davis had a 64% catch rate on 39 targets. Then the final four games, plus three in the playoffs, that dropped to a 39.5% catch rate on 34 targets, including, I think, the final two contests. He didn't catch a single target in his direction. That's important, Hayden, because that is the area of the season, the time of the calendar that the Bills want to be in. Like That's where they're striving to be is championship Super Bowl caliber teams. I mean, John Brown missed three of those four contests, so that's why Gabriel Davis was inserted into those uh, opportunities. And then as soon as John Brown came back from injured reserve and the COVID list, he immediately got back into his spot. I just don't think that they trust him on the field. His play warrants it because he's not a separator. He's a big play guy, and I think he is talented. But there is absolutely reason to me, and I want to read into it more than is being read into now, of why Emmanuel Sanders, of Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, and Brian Dayball, they brought him in. And I think it's because he's going to start over the second-year wide receiver. The Bills gave Emmanuel Sanders like reasonable like starting-level money, and I think that he's going to play more than Gabriel Davis. I'm with you. I moved Emmanuel Sanders ahead of Gabriel Davis in my rankings. The problem with Gabe Davis is, like you said, is he's not a great athlete. Like Down the field, he made some awesome plays, just contested catches and things near the sideline. Most of that production was off of uh, broken plays and not like just traditional route running. And Gabe Davis, there was a couple plays where, like talking about you can't get out of your breaks. Like Michael Pittman can. Gabe Davis cannot. And I, after I watched him, I, I had to go back. And I was like, right, what was his like his spider web chart looking like from, from the combine. And he was a first percentile bottom first percentile in the short shuttle, no lateral uh, uh, movement skills for, for Gabe Davis. I was concerned with that. I think that the bills are going to play Gabe Davis because they're going to be in four wide receiver sets and he can be the X receiver. And he's the, by far, by far the biggest receiver on their team. I was just not impressed with his ability to win on his own. And I think that right now everyone's predicting the big breakout from me. 
And I think from your film take, I was not that impressed with with Gabe Davis, unfortunately. Yeah, again, if you plugged in my short shuttle time and Gabe Davis's short shuttle time on mock draftable for wide receivers, we'd be in the same percentile. I, that 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 is really bad, and it shows up. Like people say, oh, these are great athletes. Like, why do we care about athleticism? It absolutely shows up when you look at Gabe Gabriel Davis because he's not a separator. He's absolutely not a separator. And I think most importantly, we need to double down on the fact of where he's going right now. It's a strong avoid. Uh, he's going just after Rashad Bateman and Henry Ruggs. He's going before Cole Beasley on his own team. He is yeah, going wrong. before Cole Beasley right now. I would even, again, push Emmanuel Sanders up above him. We're definitely putting Cole Beasley above him. And I would rather take you know, the chance on a Rondale Moore in Arizona, the unknown element of that. I'd rather take the chance of Nelson Aguilar, who's going seven spots after Gabriel Davis at the moment because we know he's going to be in the field every single snap of the Patriots, despite them not being the passing offense that the Bills are. I mentioned with Mike Kosicki, I think that he needs maybe the hardest reset among ADPs. Gabriel Davis is starting to trend in that right direction too. Yeah, right there with you. I'm not going to be drafting him. Okay, next up, who could be a second-year player out there making a leap or not? Yeah, I feel like a total hater on this show. Um, <laughs> LaVisca Chanel, let's talk about him. So I'm very intrigued by LaVisca Chanel. As a prospect, I thought that this guy had a lot of potential, but defined a potential in a certain role. And in college, a lot of that was in the Wildcat, in the screen game. Basically, all of his production was within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. And I was hoping last year that was not going to be the case because sometimes you get some of these players just like typecasted into a certain role. And that role is not that productive for fantasy purposes, especially half PPR like underdog is. Now, LaVisca Chenault last year had more carries, 18, than he had receptions on targets traveling more than seven yards downfield. So he was in that exact same role um, that he was at, at Colorado, a gadget player. Now, the, the, the tricky part about this is a lot of things. The quarterback upgrade's coming. The I think that the, the play-calling upgrade is, is coming, especially if Urban Meyer wants to put LaVisca Chenault in this kind of like Curtis Samuel classic role underneath. And LaVisca Chenault is such a great athlete. I think that eventually he could break out and be a, a three-level player. It's just hard because we have not seen that at all. So He's one of the players that I'm most intrigued about for preseason usage. I want to see what type of routes he's running. If he's just running shallow drags and bubble screens and tunnel screens all, all game, that's going to be a concern to me. If he's winning downfield, then like I think I'm going to move him up way up. Um, but it, it's so tricky because there's so many moving parts with this game, and he has all this potential. Last year, it was just he had the same usage as he had at Colorado, and now it's on my radar a little bit. Um, but LaVisca has like all the potential in the world. He's just such a good athlete. Yeah. If you're watching with us live on YouTube, we're, we're playing highlights while talking about him. And the highlights are so much fun, man. Like if you just watch this four and a half minutes of LaVisca Chenault, you, you would buy in and I, I wouldn't begrudge you from doing so. I also want to take a top down approach of this team and say, hey, was Chenault being used that way because of Jay Gruden, because the the attachment to Gardner Minshew. And now we're getting a quarterback who can truly unlock probably any type of offense in a Trevor Lawrence, um, John Shipley, who we had in the show and does a great job uh, covering the Jaguars, has said that like the LaVisca Chenault, uh, Travis Etienne picks had nothing to do with each other. Right. Even the Kadarius Tony potential pick and LaVisca Chenault had nothing to do with each other because they view him as an outside receiver. Now we have seen DJ Chark put up like a thousand yards and be a great player in the NFL for one season, at least. We've also seen. 
the Jaguars bring in someone like Marvin Jones, who has a, a long history of Daryl Bevel, who's being a very productive player. And so if you're going to have like those two types and then like a rotating third piece, which could be Visco, which could be Travis Etienne, which could be a few other names. I, it's just the uncertainty of, of a role here. And he's being drafted very highly. But again, the potential that, that that word we keep using is all there because he can win after the catch. And even when he was allowed to be like a legitimate wide receiver, there were some really fun plays as well. He's not sudden necessarily, but he is, he's a bully. He can, abs- he's, he's strong, strong baby. he's powerful, he strong. he's a bully. And he's a fun player. And I think what you said about preseason usage could be absolutely right here with LaVisca. Would it, is it shocking? Would it be absolutely dumbfounding if he starts over someone like DJ Chark this year? I had to move DJ Chark down my rankings. I think that people are like assuming that he's the dude in this offense. And I think Marvin Jones can play. And I think that LaVisca Chenault's ceiling is, is higher than DJ Chark's. Um, but going back about the inside outside, like LaVisca Chanel, if you're just looking at the depth chart, I like, I, I, I'm fairly confident he's going to be the slot receiver. Like DJ Chark doesn't play in the slot. Marvin Jones isn't the slot guy there. I think LaVisca Chanel is going to be the slot guy. Is it going to be a classic slot type? And that's the role that he had at Colorado, or is it going to be vertical shots and let Trevor Lawrence's arm strength come into play here? That's going to be the big thing of whether he takes a huge step or if he's kind of stuck in this like flex area of the draft. So um, preseason guy, the potential is all there. Um, it just kind of comes down to his usage. Now I'm glad we said all those positives and laid out the player that LaVisca Chenault is, because I also believe, Hayden, correct me if you, if you disagree, I think he's kind of being drafted with a lot of optimism baked into where he's going right now, because it, it's around the Juju Smith Schuster, Will Fuller, Curtis Samuel territory. That's rich. Is it not? The highlight tapes, though, they're pretty – they're hard They're hard to ignore. So, like – I mean, four I, spots after Tyler Boyd, seven spots after Michael Gallup, nine spots after Debo Samuel. Like, that is a territory of certified ballers. I, I don't know what to do with LaVisca Chenault. He's, he's going to be the, the, the guy that I'm going to have the most FOMO about. If I'm wrong on LaVisca Chenault and he is actually a baller at all three levels, I'm going to be so upset at myself because I know LaVisca Chenault is good. Yeah. I'm just worried about the usage. So um, he's going to be some guy that I'll probably be five five receiver spots lower than the market. And then the preseason comes. And if I learn I'm wrong, like I'm going to be the first one to flip that and like just admit I was wrong and just be over overweight on him again. So you're saying like when new information that are facts come into play, you change your opinion? How dare you? No, no nuance in fantasy football. Come on, Josh. <laughs> How dare you? Before we move on, we got a couple more names, maybe some ones that you are waiting on. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe on this channel. Again, we'll be back here tomorrow, Thursday at 1230 Eastern for the Giveaway Gauntlet with Patrick Dory. It's going to be an amazing show. Get in the chat. Get some free Best Ball Mania 2 entries. Free money. Who is doing that nowadays? Just us. And also, you can take us on the go. Subscribe to the podcast feed on any podcast platform. Can we can we quickly talk about someone on, on the Jaguars as well? Because I, I wanted to bring up James Robinson because we're almost entering uncharted territory with a running back who eclipsed 1,400 rushing yards during his rookie season. And just the general sentiment, and maybe a coaching sentiment, is that he's just going to be immediately replaced. And I kind of want to say, like, not so fast. I truly believe that, 
James Robinson is going to lead this team in carries in, in 2021. Um, now, just as like a ball carrier last year, he only got to like 1,070 yards. And then I think low key was a pretty good receiving back for Jay Gruden last year with 49 receptions, 344 receiving yards and three touchdowns. Naturally, I think a lot of the uh, opinion is, is that that's just going to be handed over to Travis Etienne which is fair, but we have seen Daryl Bevel handle like a three-headed backfield. It happened last year with the Lions, and Adrian Peterson got 42% of the carries last season for Detroit, a bad team. They still ran the ball. DeAndre Swift got 31%, and Carrion Johnson got 14%. We could see something very similar happen here with James Robinson to Travis Etienne to Carlos Hyde. Um it's just a difficult path, Hayden, to be nearly as productive as he was last season. But you're not even drafting him close to that production either. John Shipley projected, I think, Travis Etienne for 115 carries, like seven or eight carries per game. And that would mean that James Robinson's getting about 10, maybe 12 carries per game. Maybe the goal line role. And I don't think he's going to get catch that many passes. I think it's going to be like the Adrian Peterson role that we ha- that we saw with Bevel um, previously. So, I just don't see what the upside case is unless Travis Etienne gets hurt and then he's the bell cow back. Um, I, I like there's not going to be too many weeks where you want to be starting the second guy in the committee on the Jaguars. So I get why that he's ranked this low. Um, I'm kind of more viewing him as like an like an insurance only type, and then you'll get a couple okay weeks where he finds finds the end zone um, on tape. James Robinson is last lack, he lacks top end speed. That is yep. no arguing that. He can make a couple guys miss. He's yep. certainly powerful enough. He, he kind of reminds me of like a little bit like Mike Davis, where he can catch out of the backfield. The the breakaway speed is not really there. I think that Mike Davis was like more elusive than James Robinson was last year out in open space. But they're kind of just like replaceable level dudes. And I think that's but why also they productive players, Etienne. but right. also productive, right. right? Like if the Jaguars didn't go out and get Travis Etienne or sign Carlos Hyde, I absolutely would be, and you would too be pigeonholing James Robinson for another 1200, 1300 yards, you know, like that, that is something that is absolutely in the realm of possibility that he can do. And almost any, I mean, the team was awful last year. They fed him a, a, a ton of opportunity, but not the most in the NFL. And they weren't wasted touches. He was creating on his own as well. It's just very clear that urban Meyer, I don't know how heavy handed he's going to be in like play calling down the down series, a series game to game with offense, but from a personnel standpoint, he wants speed. And you mentioned top and speed is not James Robinson's thing. It is Travis Etienne's thing, but we could also go out there in preseason first five weeks of the season. Hayden, we weren't in love with Travis Etienne's running style. You know, like there is absolutely a, a case to be made that James Robinson is the best running back on that team. And that could last for the entire season as well. They're just polar opposite um, players. Like I think that Travis Etienne was purely like a a home run threat. And obviously that's the exact opposite of James Robinson. So I I understand why the Jaguars would want to view this as like a committee. Um, I don't get why you spend a first round pick on a a committee running back. That's a discussion that we've already had before. I I don't like James Robinson needs Etienne to get hurt. Like, and if that doesn't happen, then he's, he's going to have 10 carries and average four yards. He'll find the end zone every four or five weeks. And like, you'll get a couple 12 point games. You'll get a lot of five point games. So 
In, in drafts right now, James Robinson is going ahead of Damian Harris and Michael Carter. You all, if you are committed listeners to this program and viewers in this program, know I would take especially Damian Harris and definitely Michael Carter over James Robinson right now. Okay, I have one name. You have two names remaining. Who else you want to talk about? Let's have the Jalen Rager dis- discussion. So um, we got to start with the stats first. He was 93rd out of 97 in yards per route run versus man coverage last year. 36% of his receptions came on either screens, jet sweeps, or leak, which is like free plays, free yep. receptions. That was third highest in the entire league. It's like Debo Samuel, somebody else, and then Jalen Rieger. That's not a great sign. And then we love Matt Harmon in his reception perception. Reception perception. Jalen Rieger was the second worst ever in reception perception against man coverage. And against press, it was the fifth worst since 2014 and there was just nothing about Jalen Rager's game last year that was showed anything that he was a first round receiver. His lateral ability was not evident. He was struggling against man coverage. That was very clear on tape. That wasn't even a Carson Wentz thing. It was like, it was a Jalen Rager thing. Um, So with him, with Jalen hurts, with Devonta Smith, who I think is a certified actual baller, I just don't see it with Jalen Rager. I know that some people liked his profile coming into the league. I wasn't that sold on it. And I just think that last year was basically a worst case scenario. I thought he was the worst rookie receiver. Like I thought oh, Henry Ruggs tape was much better than Jalen Rager's tape. So um, anything's possible. He can be way better. They might put him, put him in the slot. He might lose some weight. But if you're only looking at last year, you cannot be very confident in him at all. Jalen Rager is the worst parts of DK Metcalf. <laughs> like it's it's if DK Metcalf was much shorter and was not immortal, uh, and then you have Jalen Rager. That's an awful combination with a quarterback who we can get excited for, you know, rushing upside and maybe a full season of, of Jalen Hurts, but we're never going to call him an efficient passer. Like, absolutely, we're not going to call Jalen Hurts an efficient passer. Um, and an offense that will be lucky if it's middle of the road in terms of a passing volume, most likely around, like, I don't know, 24th, 25th, 22nd in passing volume, who just drafted a receiver in round one that they traded up for. I, I do not see a path to production for Jalen Rager this year. I think we'll get lucky. Maybe I am lacking some uh, some focus in this area, but maybe if he gets like 500 receiving yards this year, like I think that would be a good season for Jalen Rager. You know, when he was coming out of TCU, we all wondered like why wouldn't the offensive coordinator like manufacture touches and get easier opportunities for this first round wide receiver? It's because he's just not that good right now. Like I think we have already learned that about Jalen Rager at this moment. People can change. People can make leaps. People can progress, but I'm not sure if the profile is there and the opportunity is going to be there. It would be shocking if it happens for, for Rager in, in year two. I would be very surprised if Devonta Smith like does just runs circles around Rager. Oh, yeah. And that's what the ADP suggested. So it's like not some bold take, but like I, I'm I'm fairly confident Devonta Smith is like multiple tiers better than Jalen Rager. But this is this is why second year breakouts happen. Like players like Jalen Rager make leaps. There was just nothing about it on stats or on film that would suggest that's gonna happen. But people like it's a change of coaching staff, I guess. Like maybe there's something to that. Um, but yeah, last year's last year's stuff was not great. 
Not great at all. I want to talk about Van Jefferson. Uh, again, we had Jordan Rodriguez on the program, and she mentioned that when you know there's like 11 personnel and you get like three true wide receivers on the field, if we can call them that, like Van Jefferson's going to get a lot of run. Based on the usage last year, you know, Cooper Cup played 61% of his snaps in the slot. Robert Woods played about 49% of his snaps in the slot. The two quote-unquote downfield wide receivers were Josh Reynolds and and Van Jefferson. I would say that that doesn't equal Van Jefferson's, you know, where he wins on the field, like his, his skill set. Because, one, he's an older player – and two, we talk about running back insurance, Hayden. I would almost say like Van Jefferson is Cooper Cup and Robert Woods insurance because he can play all of those spots across the formation. I just think all the decisions that Sean McVay has made based on this offense is that he wants to attack more downfield. And so we're going to get some combination of Deshaun Jackson and Tutu Atwell for, I would say, 50% of the snaps this year. So I'm just not sure while I, I think Van Jefferson's a good player. He separates, he's very consistent. He does those wide receiver things that you want. As long as Cooper cup and, and Robert Woods stay healthy, uh, he's not going to get a lot of run. But if, if one goes down, then I think Van Jefferson immediately slots in as that number two, quote unquote, pass catching option at wide receiver. And because of that would really hit on his wide receiver, 84 ADP right now. I'm totally with you. I think that Obviously, Tutu Atwell and Deshaun Jackson play way, way, way different roles than Van Jefferson. I think that's why they're going to rotate depending on the situation. Um, but I'm with you that Van Jefferson is more of a win within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage and not the downfield threat. I think he's going to play some X receiver. That's not where Robert Woods or Cooper Cup plays. And I think that he's going to have minimal production when both the top two receivers are, are healthy. But if something happens to them, I think that Van Jefferson would be the guy that his usage would vault the most. It wouldn't be like Tutu Atwell all of a sudden. I think that would be Van exactly. Jefferson going into that role. So um, maybe if, you, if you've if you drafted, if you're trying to get a Matthew Stafford stack and you've only drafted R- Robert Woods or Cooper Cup, just one of the two, then you go to Van Jefferson. But outside of that, I don't have that much interest. We talked about with Ryan, we've talked about in a lot of shows, that those rounds 14 and on, even 12 and on, we – don't exactly count on any of those hitting. And if you hit one or two, then that that's a big deal. You know, if, if Van starts going super late, 15, 16, 17, 18, and of the mindset that Hayden just mentioned, uh, we're banking on an injury selecting him. But also, I mean, the Rams played, you know, 65% of their snaps last season in 11 personnel, those three wide receiver sets. But yeah, he, he's not going to become a top 36 wide receiver on his own. Something has to happen in that formula, but you could take worse options in that area. Uh, in my opinion, than than Ben Jefferson. All right. I hold real quick. I forgot that he was a second round pick. Like when yeah. I was like going back, I was like, Oh, he was, I for, totally forgot. He was a second round because he wasn't supposed to go in the second round. He's supposed to be like more like a round three guy. And he was kind of like a trust the tape player. I think that like his dad was like a coach or something. He was like a that was a player route, or player and he was like a, a good route runner. And then like all the data was saying that's just not it. Yeah, I'm gonna look up I, I really think he's on he's 24, 25 right yeah, now. Yeah he, he was definitely older and not that productive at uh Florida, yeah. right? He he turns 25 and and on July 26th as a second year player. But the Rams don't care. I mean Cooper Cup was old coming out of school. Um yeah. they want you to be good now. All their indications with every move that they make is is we want you to be good now. Uh I think the talent is there, Hayden, for him to be a top 40 wide receiver if one of those other players goes down early on. But uh, we never want that to happen. Okay, close us out with one more name you want to you talk about here in this conversation. 
it's only right that we talk about Henry Ruggs here. And I wrote Oops. a full a full column on uh, Underblog about Henry Ruggs. And basically, it was a usage problem for Henry Ruggs. Partially, and a partial, part of it is that he was smaller. And there was a couple like things where he's like near the sideline. He was not getting his feet in. And I thought that he wasn't the greatest match with Derek Carr last year. And that's just a – Derek Carr just doesn't like throwing the ball downfield. And Henry Ruggs was only being used downfield. And at Alabama – even though he, he has 4-2 speed, Nick Saban was a lot of screens, a lot of slants, let him be a yard after the catch guy. He made a couple plays downfield too because he was a first-round pick, and that's what happens. But the Raiders only gave him two screens. His yards after the catch was way down comparatively, and his 20-plus air yards rate was way up for Henry Ruggs. So um, things I'm watching for, for Henry Ruggs for a breakout to happen is he clearly needs to be more involved within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, more screen production. And I think that the the one thing that you can go back to was that that first week he had seven touches, a couple backfield stuff. There was some quick outs. There was screen stuff. It was the classic Alabama Henry Ruggs usage that we got. And then he got hurt and all that stuff went away. And I, I do wonder if it's uh, Gruden's playbook. It's hard to pick up. And since he missed a couple weeks, the Raiders were like, all right, let's move on. Let's use Darren Waller. Uh, Henry Ruggs will be our decoy. Nelson Aguilar will be our one, and we'll worry about Henry Ruggs next year. So that's the bull case. We just need Henry Ruggs to be utilized near the line of scrimmage because if it was the same role as last year, it's not going to happen. So many layers to this. On our tight end show and the 7-on-7 draft we did with Robert Mays, hopefully everyone check that out. We we talked about how Darren Waller is going to get his no matter what because of the usage, they, they use them outside, they use them in the slot, they use them in line, especially in the red zone. So all those targets, all those opportunities are there. Now, looking at Nelson Aguilar last year, Hayden, he scored the same number on a per-week basis of someone like Tyler Boyd, someone like T. Higgins, someone like DJ Chark, uh, just around where Cole Beasley was, Robbie Anderson, so on and so forth. Who's getting that this year? You know, like we, we expect the Raiders to be a very similar team to what they were last year is Henry Ruggs going to get that Nelson Aguilar's not he's not on the team can Brian Edwards emerge in that I feel like I did a lot of homework for this show and I didn't watch a single second of Brian Edwards either because I was kind of sick of of people propping him up last offseason and then obviously he did nothing but then you and I did that for Henry Ruggs as well the usage we can point to the usage being off for Henry Ruggs but the usage mainly was to open things up so Nelson Aguilar could be the volume sponge uh Hopefully Ruggs the volume sponge this year because you and I both think he can do that and excel in it. But I guess my question is, what if he's not? Who is? So I think the the Nelson Aguilar role, I'm hoping that John Brown just goes, plays X receiver, and then he's the downfield threat because that's what he always has been. He's been the X receiver, win downfield, not your traditional X receiver. That's just what the John Brown role is. And if that's the case, maybe you get Henry Ruggs underneath more, and that's what I'm hoping for. So I, I hope that John Brown wins the Nelson Aguilar role and then Henry Ruggs kind of gets utilized more underneath. And I think that maybe this is just a product of John Gruden's playbook just being impossible. Like, go go watch those Chris Sims videos where he's trying to relay the plays. Like, <laughs> it is no joke, especially in a, in a weird offseason. Henry Ruggs had an injury right away, and then kind of things just kind of spiraled out of control. There was a couple plays that, like, there was a couple plays. If you look at his highlights, there was a couple awesome plays downfield, contested catches, um, and the potential's there for him. So I, I'm keep, I'm leaving the light on for him. Um, I'm too. hoping he's another guy like LaVisca Chenault waiting for the preseason usage. If we see more manufactured things, then Henry Ruggs is going to beat ADP. If we don't see that, then I would be getting uh, pretty nervous again. 
you and I are both ahead of ADP and Henry Ruggs. Uh, you can go check out Hayden's rankings, my rankings on underblog.underdogfantasy.com. Hayden just put out an update. I will shortly. Hayden, remember that as well. Uh, but he's in that range where you're just taking shots. Like you're, you're pinpointing players that you want to take because it's, you know, the Mikkel Hardmans are going in that area. The Russell Gages are going in that area. Devontae Parker, so on and so forth. And uh, I, I'm probably going to take Henry Ruggs over all, if not most, of those names. Um I know we didn't talk about every single second-year player. Maybe this opens up a pathway for us to talk about some of the preseason that emerge as well. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Again, if you're here, like and subscribe to the YouTube video. If you're on iTunes, be sure to leave us a rating and review. It absolutely does help us out. We are really gearing up for a massive month in August. And as always, we want you to know that drafting doesn't start in early September. It doesn't start in the middle of August. It starts right freaking now. Best Ball Mania 2 to win a million dollars or 250, 150, 100K. We also open up the Puppy, a $5 tournament as well. And if you're a new user, deposit anything, skip the guacamole at Chipotle, deposit that on Underdog instead, and you get a free $25. Hayden, anything to say before we get out of here? Promo code the show with that and rookies and sophomores. You just we just went over all these sophomores. You if you're still here an hour in talking about sophomores only and you're not going to tournament you're doing yourself no favors at all so um deposit and go play rookies and sophomores it's only going to be up for a couple more weeks before it fills an hour in just 56 minutes that's it all right everyone thanks so much we'll see you on thursday 12 30 eastern for the giveaway gauntlet with the one the only roto pat up the vela talk to y'all soon see ya